Welcome into an abundance of thrones, the an abundance of not exclusive Game of Thrones podcasts. Garrett here with Brad and Wade. Hello. Hello, everyone. What's up, guys? This was a good show. That's what is up. This is a good show. This was a good, this is a good episode. episode. Uh, we is are that, looking at. Is that spoken in a general sense? Uh, well, yes and no. This was a good episode, or the entire show was good? Yes and oh. yes. Yes. Oh, okay. If you needed uh, assistance with that, uh, go away. Uh, reminder to everybody, this show will have spoilers as we look at Season 4, Episode 3, Breaker of Chains. And uh, this is an explicit podcast, so some profanity may fly uh, out of our gaping holes in our face. If you don't like it, um, you better go away. And again, by way of disclaimer, we are discussing the episode and what happened in it. So if you haven't seen the episode yet and do not want spoilers, this is the only spoiler alert. Stop the podcast now and go watch the episode, then come back and listen. That's it. Uh, So to some of the nitty-gritty stats here, director, once again, Alex Graves. He directed last week's episode, The Lion and the Rose along with two more coming later this season and two episodes in season three, uh, which was Now His Watch Is Ended and Kissed by Fire. Writers this episode are the Double Ds, Dan B. Weiss and David Benioff. Viewership this episode, we got a spike back in it at 6.59 million. That's up from the 6.31 from last week, but still down from the season four premiere. Why do you think there was a drop? Why why do you think the premiere was so much higher? Well, I know I went around work in saying, yay, Game of Thrones is tomorrow or tonight. And people were like, oh, yeah, I got, there is? Oh, oh, I don't even have HBO. It's like, it's, I think it did kind of catch people off guard. Yeah, I think the anticipation for the premiere is, uh, was huge. I mean, this show's done nothing but pick up steam. I think the reason why episode two had a drop was probably as a result of it being uh, pre-Easter weekend, and you know a lot of people get together, and you know you just family comes first for a lot of people, and they'll watch it later on HBO Go, which I don't is not going to factor into the uh, standard viewership, to my understanding. And then now that kind of I think a lot of that stuff has ended, even though this last episode was on Easter Sunday. I think the way that school schedules and what people do with the with the holiday uh, was a conflict. So I predict the viewers should be steady, if not on the rise, uh, for this point going forward. Did we say there was a spike in viewership or a decrease? Uh, it's, it's a spike from last week, but it didn't exceed episode one. Uh, I think I can see why there was a spike. Yeah. People going, did you know what happened? No. Well, you should watch it. That's also true. Yeah. I mean, season two, or episode two, obviously, uh, a long, look-forward episode. People waiting on for quite a while, and uh, that was it. So, now people are getting back into the swing of things, so. Did you have any counter-thoughts as to why the viewership uh, oscillated? Onto the, the only thing I can that I can uh, think of that really fits, I mean... 
for your theory about, uh, you know, being the holiday weekend, for that to work, then the viewership should have dropped this weekend. But, you know, I think the repercussions of the death of King Joffrey from last week, I think that probably piqued some interest. I know that, you know, it, like you said, it's been long looked for. He has been a jerk of a character. Oh, he's been an ass. Um, Come on, this is an explicit <laughs> podcast. Let's go. <laughs> I think he's yeah. got extra ears. I think he can he can go without this week. It was interesting though, the Brad, in that the episode of Joffrey's demise was the lower rating of the three. So there's the aftermath that had the increase. So it must have been just people talking about it, and that's what I thought. You know, yeah, talk around the water cooler. Word is getting around, and you know. Maybe a few disillusioned people because of how bad he was have come back to it now with the excitement of his death. Agreed, agreed. Um, so we want to talk about some scenes that we all enjoyed, questioned, were curious about. Wade, do you want to start us off with anything that may be earlier in the show rather than later? Uh, yeah, because you know which scene was my favorite. Yes, I do. Uh, I'm trying to think, well, there's much of an earlier scene, I mean, there was that part with, um, Tywin and the Joffrey's brother, I don't know his name. Tommen? Tommen? Prince and Tommen. And the discussion about what makes a good king. It seems like Tywin is wasting no time on, uh, breeding the next king, teaching the next king. Yeah, I think Tywin was no fool, obviously was no fool to Joffrey's Nature and or inability to rule and sees a very different outcome with uh, Tommen, especially at a, a younger age, a more moldable personality. I find Tommen's whole attitude, though, interesting in this episode. You know, is he in shock or does he really just not care that his brother just died? He, I mean, at the opening, he seems to be kind of a little teary with his mother there pushing that agenda along but once Tywin starts talking about you know you're going to be the next king now and these are the qualities you should have it's almost like a awakening moment yeah it's basically like I know my brother is dead but you know he's dead now and there there are bigger things at play yeah I think I didn't necessarily pick up on the lack of emotion, but he did seem to be as indifferent as Tywin was to the situation. Just, yeah, okay, there's a dead body there, so what makes a good king? Oh, yeah, wisdom, okay. But I, but Still, I, you just got told that you're going to be the king. Yeah. But on a different note, we did actually kind of see some more humanity from the queen, or former queen regent. Cersei. Cersei. Uh, you know, she's saying, do, we, do you really have to go into this now? Well, and it's been expressed throughout the season that as much of a bitch as she can be, Tyrion even says her redeeming quality is A, her cheekbones, and the love for her children. Those are the only two Things saving graces that she has. And even though Joffrey was a little shit, uh... She still, you know, loved him as a mother should. Um, but following the scene with Tommen and 
and Tywin, we see the quote-unquote rape scene with Jaime and Cersei. Now, in the books, this was a little bit different, and it didn't take place at this time. Jaime wasn't actually in King's Landing at the time of Joffrey's death. He came back quite a bit later, and he did force himself on Cersei in the book, but she very quickly uh, not only accepted, but uh, further provoked it. This was in the books. Right? This is in the books. Let's just clarify that. So, the George, there was a, a lot of buzz around the internet about, you know, why they went this way, why they have to have a rape scene, why, you know, this, that, and the other, when it was so different than portrayed in the books. And George kind of came out and said that with some of the artistic and creative rights that the that Dan and Dave have with the show, he knew, you know, there was going to be some variations. And in his mind, the rape scene was always supposed to be shocking, even in the books. But the difference between books and show is that in the books, you're in Jamie's head. You know his emotional state. He's thinking, and it's first person for Jamie. And the camera on a show is always going to be third person. Well, so you're never going to get the same inflection that you do with uh, text versus uh, visuals. I always like to think it's like, how impersonal would it be? How fa far, or sorry, how fast would the, I want to say feminist community would get up if she just kind of took it? You know, because in the book, it's like, all right, you read it in the book. But if it's in a visual medium being spread out to thousands of people, how fast would the feminist ticket would have gotten on the show on HBO if she did just take the uh, raping, I guess would be the best term to call it? Yeah, I don't know. Well, my take on it is, yeah, it does vary from... Uh, what were what was in the book, but with George Martin acting as a, you know, uh, he's still very much involved in the show, and he said on numerous times that now that he's written the later books, there are things he would like to have gone been able to go back and clean up, you know, give, given the constraints that the show has, you know, time and and all of that. I'm prepared to accept some creative edits. Yeah, and I mean, obviously... You know, it, shows, it doesn't bother me that it varies a little bit. Agreed. And it obviously shows no stranger to uh, graphicness and sexuality and nudity. So having a scene like this isn't... And we almost saw this with Sansa in season two when she was in the um, outriding and the, and the hound came and saved her. So, I mean... We've flirted with the rape situation at least once, if not more, this series. Um, so we actually had a rape scene. Great. Okay, move on. Kind of my stance, but apparently people are up in arms about it. And uh, I think one of the issues is that in the books at this stage, more or less, you start seeing Jamie in a different light than you did early on. He's, st he's starting to redeem himself a little bit. He's taking actions that are not selfish or whatnot. Uh, and then to have him go back in the show now where you started feeling that for him and now go back and be, you know, and be a raper in this sense. Um, 
a lot of people have kind of questioned why they were doing that and kind of uh, blackening his name when they were trying to clean it up for a while. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with this in following episodes, how they explain it. Do they address any aftermath or is it just a, okay, here it was, move on? So, okay, move on. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, scenes from you. Right. Yeah. Um, you said you don't want to jump to the end of the show, so um, yeah, I don't. There's there's a lot of show here. We don't need to jump to probably <laughs> the best scene in the entire show at the end of it. So let's yeah, that to... was probably my favorite scene as well. So um, we're gonna have to show that then at your request. Yes, do it. Um. I thought the the interaction between Tyrion and um, Pod in the cell was rather interesting. You know, obviously this entire matter is they're they're pinning it on Tyrion, and he's not the, guilty. Say that again. You mean he's not guilty? Well, he hasn't had a trial yet, so presumed innocence <laughs> not in king's landing he's not no, <laughs> <laughs> no he's he, he's, he's already guilty um yeah. you know the way um tywin has gone about setting up who the who the judges are going to be i mean it it's already heavily slanted against him oh, he's he's a but, firm believer it's i think we all are and i think we're all meant to be that He's not getting out of this. There's no one to fight on his side. The judges are all swayed by good old dad. I mean, there's just no hope for redemption here. There, There's no witnesses left for him to call because, you know, the prosecution's already called all, all of them. Yep. And now they're buying off his squire. Or attempting. Uh, attempting to. And, and I just find it interesting kind of kind of him that he essentially tells him you know what i want you to be safe so go ahead and accept their terms and testify against me well that's not what he said it was just it was more of uh if you are going to support me you need to support me by not to being here you need to yeah. go away you need i will not have you die on my hand you need to right. leave king's landing while you can he says pot this is goodbye Yep. Go get my brother and then leave. Leave. So, yeah, he's definitely not telling Pod. And you see, Pod was not going to take the offer anyway because he was too loyal to Tyrion. Correct. There was, you know, so that wasn't going to happen. But, um, yeah, definitely there was a little, um, careful to say bromance here, but there was definitely a mutual admiration <laughs> but uh, between the two of them. So. Okay, but I think it comes... Uh, somewhat as a surprise for Tyrion, you know, given the fact that everybody hates him just because of his stature. You well, know that and that and killing his mother—that's a big portion. Well, yeah, but again, through no fault of his own. I mean, the, the everybody's against him, so to have this level of loyalty, I think, kind of surprised him. Yeah, no, that's a good point. He's, he hasn't seen this from anybody else ever. So, nope, that's true. Um, you know, I, 
part of me wants to be surprised, but the other part of me doesn't in the in regards to Tywin and his uh, ability to sway a situation in his favor. I mean, he's going to the man who probably hates him most in the entire uh, capital, if not near country, uh, or realm, rather, uh, and that of Prince Oberyn. Completely unarmed as well. Approaches him in a brothel, which is the second time a Lannister has interrupted Oberyn's um, entertainment and pleasure in three episodes, but... Not only that's got to be getting old for him, right? I mean, jeez, let a man have his horse, <laughs> shit. Um, but not only confronts him, call, you know, they they have their banter about a son is not responsible for their father or grandfather's actions. Okay, Tywin says, "I didn't command the rape and murder of your sister. I'll give you the hound, but I need mountain. you to." I'm sorry, you're right. The mountain. I'll give you the mountain. Uh, but in return, I pretty much need you to help me execute my son. Oh, and by the way, you can be on the King's Small Council, too, uh, to sweeten the pot a little bit. And to go to your probably biggest enemy here and be able to swing it into your favor is a, a gift. Oh, this guy's a master negotiator. That's yeah, this guy. Tywin knows what's up. If anyone knows how this game is truly played, it's Tywin. Well, and at the risk, you know, the risk of being too cliche, there, there's a reason for the title of the show. You know, Ty, Tywin definitely knows how to play the Game of Thrones, and he is very good at keeping his enemies closer. Yeah, that's that's very very true. Um, the Arya Hound scene and in partnership with this farmer and daughter, how did you, do you have any, anything you wanted to call out on that one or was that pretty much straightforward for you? Either one The only you? thing I would point to is, I think, uh, Arya's referencing the Hound as father kind of came as a surprise to him and a little bit of a shock. And I wonder if there's almost a new appreciation of the awkward relationship going on there. You know, she's recognizing that she does need him to help get her out of danger. And I wonder if he's becoming... Maybe a little attached to her as, you know, in that protective role. At least for the short term? At least for the short term. I mean, ultimately he wants to deliver her to her aunt and get his money and leave. But, you know, they've been through a lot together and I wonder if there's a kind of a fondness growing there. Okay. Wade, what did you think? of? Definitely, kind of, he's... Really trying to, I, I, I don't really know, really. It's, I, you do see kind of a father figure, but you know, it's really, I only see it really for him to protect her, for him to get his money when she sells her off. Okay, I saw her story as not at a result of her and the Hound's relationship, but her being almost hyper aware of the relationship of the farmer and daughter talks about, okay, well, this is my father. Yeah, our, our cottage burned down. I don't have a mother either. 
and playing into the empathy of that they're between the four of them are mirrors of each other for the most part to try to, whether it just be get out of the land safely or to take advantage, uh, whether that's just, um, you know, shelter from the storm and food. Uh, obviously the hound saw it as a way to uh, put some coin in his pocket. Um, but I think they're trying to show Arya as starting to more and more get acclimated to the way the world is and to be aware of what's going on. She knows the houses. She has an idea of where she is. So she knows that if she says um, Stark or Lannister, she's got a 50-50 chance of being wrong. But if you're fighting for one of the lower houses like the Tullys, which is not a low house but lower, uh, you have a little bit easier time of being accepted and knowing where she was at uh, geographically was she was able to use that to her advantage totally so i think that was that was brilliant on her part if that's the direction they were going which i'm kind of hoping it was well we did see um back when she was in with tywin in the last season uh, yep, when they were at heron hall yep he was What's it called? Basically quizzing her on what houses were what, or where she would come from. And kind of calling her out on the me lord, my lord, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so she was he, kind of digging herself into a pit while also digging her way out of it. So being highborn has given her the education that she needs to kind of maybe manipulate this world a little bit. I'm trying to think of what kind of came next after that. Um, it's interesting. It was just a brief reference, but she does reference uh, her friend um, oh, across the sea. Yeah, the, um, the guy she says she has, a, she has friends in, in Bravos, And yeah, yes. we obviously know that Illyrio, the dancing teacher slash sword teacher, uh, we assume he died in King's Landing when he was protecting her in season one. But then, yeah, we have um, Jack and Hagar, the man of a thousand faces, who gave her the coin of value and said, Vela Mogulis. I saw a really cool picture of that the other day. What's that? It's brace yourself, Aria is coming, then, it, then the words. Vela Mogulis? Yeah, it was actually like, oh, all right. Very so, cool. Yeah, so, and and for those who know the story, maybe a little foreshadowing. Um, so we'll just, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, well, without further uh, delay, uh, why don't, who wants to jump in first on the, the top scene, I think, that's collective? Go Where ahead. Go? Well, this is uh, where Cersei, no, not Cersei. Well, Danny reaches, um, was it Marine? Marine. Marine. And the, they send, Marine sends their one champion out and he present, then proceeds to piss on the floor or on the ground. And he seemed pretty well endowed. Not that I was really looking, but after, (laughs) I mean, the camera angle they showed and after watching the show twice, I mean... Uh, he was holding that thing like it was an actual snake. Uh, gee, holy cow, that thing was 
<laughs> he was has donkey in his lineage or something. I don't know. He's he walks with a with a kind of a limp. He's got that. <laughs> he sleeps standing up. Figure that one out. So he doesn't roll over too much. <laughs> I guess. I guess my favorite part, or maybe not favorite part, but um, kind of a call out to another film uh, with the two champions, you know, in in one on one battle. The first thing that came to mind when I saw that was uh, Indiana Jones. Oh, really? I was thinking you were going to go uh, Troy with Brad Pitt. I was, was thinking that. No. The one that comes to my mind is Indiana Jones, where, you know, the the one is posturing with the sword and, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, you know, showing off and Indiana pulls out the gun and just shoots him. Yep. yep you know, I see the scene very vividly. much echoed of that with the um you know knife thrown into the horse yeah like i'm not actually gonna wait for you to get to me yeah i'm not i'm not giving you the opportunity i'm not gonna just wait here yeah and i like it just offs the guy and turns back to danny and it's like okay done okay yeah yeah it's just very cool very calm it yeah. was funny when, like, after everyone's like, oh, I'll do it. And she's like, nope, you're my general. You're my most trusted advisor. I need you to stay alive because you have the most single combat or whatever. And he's like, look, I'm the last to join your army. Mm-hmm. Last of this, last of this. Oh, and by the way, I am the son of a whore. <laughs> I was like, did that really need to be in there? But okay. I'm pretty much worthless in every way except this. <laughs> Wouldn't he yeah. be still commanding, like, the Second Sons or whatever it is? Yeah, I was trying to figure out, I was thinking about that, too, because the Hound references the Second Sons when he says he was thinking about going over to Essos. He said he's, he's going to be a sellsword, but... But then right. he mentions Second Sons sounds good or sounds appealing, mm-hmm. something like that. It's real quick. But ever since... Uh, so I thought he w- was would take up command of the Second Sons after he... Offed the captains of the Second the, exactly. Sons? Yeah, so I don't know what's going on with that. You'd think she, he would have taken taken that and, and joined the fight, but maybe maybe not. I do still wish we had the original actor playing um, Dario. Brain, Dario, thank you. Just because he had so much more charisma to him. Even though he was cocky as hell, there was a charismatic sense to him. And this guy, this actor doesn't have it. But either way, the... Single swipe of his sword to get the job done with essentially no sweat exerted. Oh, he he did. But even before that, he looked back at at Danny and was like, Wink, got this. Let's just end it. Yep. Okay, but it's, it's, it was showmanship versus swordmanship. Well, she didn't say give him a show. The one was very much about showing off. The other was just very efficient you know, I've got a job to do. It's one thrown knife and one sword slash, and the job's done. Does this kind of remind you of the fight between Braun when we're really introduced to him in season one, uh, when he's fighting for Tyrion at the Eyrie, where he fights the one knight, and the one knight is fighting with honor? He's got a shield, he's fighting, you know, for the Eyrie, and Braun being the sellsword is. You know, I fight to win, and there was the call out of, you fight with no honor, and he goes, true, but he did, and look where that got him. Yeah. So, I mean, and looking back, I kind of feel the same way about this fight, in that, you know, the horse rider came out, he's got his joust, and 
He's kind of kind of going about it the honorable like one-on-one way, and then Dario's like, "Yeah, no, you're just gonna die." I yeah. need to end this quick. Just shut him up, just like my leader says so. Yep. How'd you like the speech that Danny gives to the slaves and the the gift she sends them? I was really amused by the gift that was launched. You know, when the when they released the trebuchets. Your, my first thought, at least, was, okay, they're going to bring down the wall of the city, but it wasn't that at all. It's, you know, here's some slave collars that we took when we freed the slaves in the previous cities. Do with them what you will. You know, you've got a few masters standing around that next would probably fit in them. Well, I was when I first saw the catapults and I saw they were barrels and they were kind of breaking easy, I thought they might be filled with weapons to arm the slaves to after her speech, because she talks about... I. I've freed slaves from two other cities. They're standing with me. You can have this too. You just have to take it. And I thought she was going to give them the tools to do it. And then when I saw it was the color, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm just providing evidence that, look, I, you can either trust the words that I did these things or here's the actual callers to prove that I freed the slaves. Oh, she is a great politician. Yeah. She knows what's up. Absolutely. Do we have any... Um, I mean, we're getting right up to our half-hour mark here. Do we have any predictions, thoughts, hopes to seize in the uh, upcoming episode? What is the title of the upcoming episode? Oh, that's a great question. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick. You uh, have five Oath Keeper. The Oath Keeper. Oath Keeper. That's, Oath Keeper. That's right. I do remember seeing that now. Which, if memory serves from the books, isn't that what Jamie named his Valyrian steel sword to kind of keep him honest after his life of oath-breaking? I believe so. Fantastic. So we're going to see a lot more of Jamie in this one. It appears that way. It would be interesting to see where they take it. But the one person we did not see, Reek. We, we did, did not, not see Reek, Reek this and we did not see Bran this episode. So, we'll see what happens there. I am very much looking forward to um, the the trial situation with Tyrion and the aftermath. I'm curious of how accurately some of those actions portray to the book. Um, so, uh, we'll, we're definitely looking forward to that. Absolutely. Keep it locked here. Keep it locked for your exclusive Abundance of Thrones feedback. Keep on being badasses. Like Dario. Velar Morgulis. <laughs> <laughs>